0: Welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast and we've got an exciting show for you today as we review the the European semifinals that happened this weekend and also preview the URC quarterfinal week that is coming up. I'm joined by Sean today. My name is Tala and yeah, Sean, I think we had a great rugby weekend with obviously some big matches in Europe. and But the the main thing that I think everyone wants to look forward to is to hear about the results of our coach fighting um, polls that we had. So last week, um, in the inspiration of Porte and him slapping the conditioning coach um, in the in Major League Rugby, we set up a, a a a pool of of coaches that would you know hold them hold their own in, in fights. And Sean, I think you have the first set of results now.
1: Yes, how's it going, man? I hope uh, hope you had a good weekend. We had some flipping decent rugby on, but two. Champions cup blowouts, which is quite interesting, but yeah. So in, in that impromptu first phase, so essentially what I did was I took a lot of the coaches that we mentioned, and then I think I might've got one or two from social, and then I randomly put them, um, down and drew, um, sort of matchups, which I thought worked out pretty well. So we've got what, what is the left side and the right side of the draw going into the the final matchup. But on the left, starting off, we had um, Scott Robertson up against John Mitchell. Then we had Eddie Jones versus Rob Dupreer. Listen, incidentally, no one has got back to me on Rob Dupreer senior and being in kickboxing. So uh, I seem to think it might be a load of rubbish. Not sure where <laughs> I got that from, but I don't think it's true anymore. Um, <clears throat> then uh, on the left-hand side, still we had Warren Gatlin versus Di Young, which I thought was going to be quite a cracker. And then uh, William Servat versus Pat Lamb. So that was on the left-hand side. And on the right-hand side, we had Johan Ackerman versus Paul O'Connell, which I thought was a huge <laughs> a huge matchup first up. Mm. Then we had Andy Farrell versus Rossi Erasmus, Brad Thorne versus Steve Diamond, and Sean Edwards versus Alex Sanderson. So it was pretty – it was fun. I thought the, the matchups were pretty decent, but anyway, so these these are how the results went. So we just ran a poll on Twitter. Um, for those of you that want to get involved, you must uh, just keep an eye on our Twitter feeds. I'm going to put up, um, the, uh, next rounds on, on Monday night, um, for everyone. So you'll have 24 hours from then, or maybe I'll make it two days and we can get some good voting in. But the way it happened was, uh, John Mitchell and John Mitchell beat Razor Robinson. Uh, with 52% of the votes. So it was a little bit tight.
0: I'm surprised it was that close, actually. I thought Mitchell would run away with it. I think some people are are, are trusting Razor isn't maybe the the surfer boy that he he might look.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I reckon, I mean, even I mean, chatting on last week's Potter, uh, I, I, I thought he could throw it down, but I thought Mitchell would run away with it a bit further. That kind of leaves me a little bit in the lurch that I think Mitchell will clean everyone's pipes, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> then Eddie Jones versus Rob Dupree Sr. I think if, you, if you're English and a Shark supporter, it was probably a poll you'd skip because you don't particularly like any of them. But um, Eddie Jones beats Rob Dupree Sr. 56% of the votes. Warren Gatlin, Die Young, nice um, hook and a prop going head to head. Gatlin takes it with 51%, 52% of the votes. So that was that was pretty yeah. tight. And Pat Lamb steamrolled William Servat, which I didn't expect. But anyway, Pat Lamb um, steamrolled him <laughs> with 70% of the votes. So that's on the left-hand side. On the right-hand side, Johan Ackerman, Paul O'Connell, super surprised. We obviously South African... Uh, a South African podcast because uh, Akka's got sixty four percent of the votes to win that one. I thought that would be a lot tighter.
2: Yeah, Andy that,
1: I mean, sorry to interrupt you. Sean. No, no, I, no. I
0: saw, I saw. I think um, AP was talking about that. Akerman used. He comes from, I think, Brits, and he, I think, was a policeman before rugby turned pro. He played, so
1: he played for the police as well. I think so. Is this? <laughs> he's rough. He's rough. I get the
0: argument for Johan Ackermann but geez, I think Paul O'Connell deserves more than 36% for sure.
1: To 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 be fair if I had to break it down like I think in terms of what we saw Paul O'Connell on the rugby field versus how we see him off the field versus versus the same comparison with Jan Ackermann I think Ackermann cleans his pipes I think Ackermann's hmm. rough as a, as a badger's knee but um <laughs> I think uh I think Paul O'Connell, I mean, he's badass on the rugby field, but we don't know what he's like off. But then again, I'm probably going to mm. get bombarded with a whole bunch of Irish fans having a go at me. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> the, the dirt trackers have spoken. Akaman, 64% of the vote. Andy Farrell and Russi Erasmus, a little closer than I expected. Um, 54% to Andy Farrell, so he takes that one. Then the last yeah, two I mean- were absolute walkovers. Sorry, Tyler.
0: Just going to say very quickly that I think our Irish support is actually not so bad on maybe bits of Andy Farrell's beaten the great Rice Erasmus in that
1: call. Yes, yes, yes. But these last two were walkovers and I didn't expect them to be that, that m- much of a blowout. But Brad Thorne cleaned Steve Diamond up with 81% of the votes. And Sean mm. Alex Sanderson didn't stand a chance. Sean Edwards beats him with eighty six percent of the votes. <laughs> I think that's the biggest win of the whole of the whole competition, yeah. So far, yeah, comfortably, comfortably, like by, well, the only place that came close was Brad Thorn with was like five percent swing. So, so yeah, that's it. So I'm gonna load up the uh, the next matchup soon. Um and I'm looking forward to it. I actually think we this could this could generate a full week of, of decent conversation of hypothetical <laughs> because I don't think we're ever gonna see it, but it's yeah, it's fun. Yeah, actually,
0: you know what? I thought about this and maybe it just brings in uh what a big game that happened this weekend as well in the women's six nations, um, with England facing France and uh um what's I think fifty five or fifty odd thousand people in Twickenham. But Yeah, um,
1: fifty-five thousand eight hundred and something world record. Yeah, and it was a grand slam match for, there. Yes, it was a and grand slam decided.
0: Congratulations to England for winning the grand slam, and congratulations for them sending off um, Simon Simon Middleton. Um, into yeah, he's stepped down now as England head coach. Speaking of Simon Middleton, I think he's someone else that we didn't consider last week as someone that would do pretty well in this um, type of environment he he looks very 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 strict
1: yes that's a fair shout i think there are a lot of guys like but uh i thought the mix of who we had oh i think were pretty decent but yeah there are a couple there are a couple of guys i mean obviously now we've had a week to think about it there are a couple of guys that i was <laughs> like oh you know that guy that guy could really lay it down but uh i think more importantly i think we're just lucky that someone like Shabal's not in coaching and, uh, (laughs) Dale (laughs) Santon.
2: Yeah.
1: We, we,
0: we've got, but yeah, I think we've got a very interesting, um, you know, last few rounds to go. It looks Mm. like, I think on the right side of the draw, I think the Ackerman versus Thorne are probably the favorites. to get to the, the, the semis on that side. And then on the other side, I think probably Gatland is, is probably the favorite to come through there because yeah, you know, well, your fans have his chances.
1: We're, we're uh, uh, into the yeah the, the next round. So it's Mitchell versus Jones, which I think is going to be great. Also two <laughs> uh, coaches. I mean, Mitchell uh, worked under Eddie Jones and they've worked against each other many times. Yeah. So just from a rugby friends, point of view. if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's going to be brilliant. Then we've got uh, Warren Gatlin versus Pat Lam. That's going to be awesome mm. to to see how that pans out. Ackerman versus Farrell. Now, there's something that could could be interesting. And then Thorne and Edwards, the two the two runaways from the from the first round. So mm. um, yeah, I think we're in. We we should probably get someone, and we should uh, run a little bit of a like an online commentary on this and put some hypothetical <laughs> like graphs as a, as we want before we, uh, well, when we find out what the results are, because I think, I think those are, those going to be good, but yeah. So Mitchell versus Jones, Gatlin versus lamb on the one side. And the other side is Ackerman versus Farrell and Thorne versus Edwards. So we're in for a cracking, uh, cracking 48 hours of voting.
0: Yeah. And that is a reminder to please um, follow us on social media um, at rugby bits on, on, on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram. So you can see details of this um, coach fight poll and yes, please like, and subscribe to the podcast as well. And yeah, make sure that we can share this with the rugby world too. Sean. Yeah. Let's get into the serious matters. And yeah, as you said at the start, uh, um, four blowouts, actually, in all four of the European semifinals this weekend. We'll start and focus mostly on the Champions Cup semi-finals And Leinster winning against Toulouse, 41 points to 22. And La Rochelle winning against Exeter, 47, 28. And, I mean, I think the Leinster, um, we can start with the Leinster match. And the Leinster result is an absolute surprise, I think, for most people. We'll talk about some of the controversial points of it, but I think just to start with how Leinster played against how Toulouse played, Sean, yeah, just a complete... I mean, we thought Toulouse would be a lot better than they were last year. And last year, I think they were a bit tired and had a long season and all that sort of stuff. And this week, they seem to be more prepared and more switched on. But, you know, once that first yellow card happened and Leinster got that man advantage, they just blew Toulouse away.
1: Yeah. You, we, everyone knows that you've got to be, um, you've got to be on, on your best when you face Leinster, if you want to beat them, especially if it's in Dublin, but to be fair anywhere, And, um, I think to lose, I agree with you in that they are, um, in a fitter, better space. I think they, I really think they're in a much better space this year than last year. And, um, I think they're all. Uh, they're probably just regretting. I think almost every player is probably regretting what had happened and how it how it happened because they're not a. I mean, Leinster beat them by twenty points, what nineteen points? It's they're much closer to Leinster than that. Mm. And you know, I, I figured the way to do it is to you've got to go hard and fast, and you've got to nail them in the first twenty minutes. And the way they started, that was how it was going to happen. And then they dished up a yellow card and then there was an injury and that basically derailed them because of I don't know if you want to chat a little bit but to I'll get into that in a little bit, but I think the injury derailed them just because of a of a coaching decision. I I don't agree that it's a six two issue. I, I I think that they had much better options to play. But yeah, once Leinster got a sniff in and Got the ball rolling, so to speak, with the way they play. You, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to knock them off their like. You're gonna knock them out of their gravity a little bit, and and you can't do Mm -hmm. it once they're going. You've you've got to, you've got to pressurize them. You've got to like mess them about. And it looked like it was going to happen, and then it just all went tits up. Is probably the only way that I could express it with my limited vocabulary. (laughs) The
0: scientific term for what
1: happened there. Yeah, it's um, it's science, bro.
0: <laughs> no, um, I think maybe just before we look at Toulouse, I think maybe let's focus on quickly just look at Leinster and like the why about how they won. And just looking at the stats, I mean, obviously they got that early lead, so they didn't have to have like a lot of possession. But yeah, Toulouse had the majority of the possession, especially in the second half. Uh they but it seemed like number 1 Toulouse never really got into Leicester's 22 that much like most times when they were like they could sort of keep them between the 250 meter I mean 22 meter lines which is similar to what happened with um, France and Ireland in the match in Dublin mm. earlier this year that France didn't really have that many opportunities to launch attacks um, from the 22 and then when you look at the stats you know again it's it's going to be similar to what I think we said in that um, France Island game. Leinster made a lot more of the tackles. They missed so many. They only had a tackle success percentage of seventy five percent.
2: Madness, you huh? know.
0: I think most defensive coaches are aiming for closer to ninety. Toulouse beat forty-two defenders in this game. Forty-two mm. defenders, three rugby teams yes. <laughs> that they beat on Saturday. But Leinster was the team that, that that was just more successful. So, Sean, yeah, just focusing on them. Obviously, it seemed like they played well in defense, but it seemed like when they got the ball and they were in the 22 against Toulouse that they scored pretty much all the time.
1: This is the thing about Leinster is, is they trust their process so well and so much, like you have to disrupt them. I'm sorry I keep repeating myself, but it's the only way to do it. You can't... Go to them and beat them with a game plan of like, that's too technical. your game plan's got to involve upsetting them and disrupting them and then and then you start capitalizing on on errors. But once they get into that space, like I mean even with with Charlie Natai um, and Gary Ringrose, like Nata was smashing people on defense, but the midfield mm. pairing wasn't as attacking or as, wasn't as dominant as attack as, as what we used to. Now, I don't think that both of them are incapable. I just think that a lot of things were changing and a lot of things needed need to happen. This is their first time playing together. Natsai's first time back in a while. Ring Rose also, like there was opportunity all over the show, but they trust everything so much. They have a sixth sense um, with, with players that are in their broader squad, like, like players that you don't see playing all that time. They've got like that sixth sense that works with everybody. And that's what they do. Like they scramble really well. They they believe in everything so well that there's uh, like it's subconscious what they do. They don't have to think about where to be and what to do. It's just drilled into them so much. So they were really really good. And I thought like two very key positions were um, were very good. And that was Jamison Gibson-Park and Dan Sheehan. Sheehan is going to be one of the greatest hookers of all time if he stays injury free he's sure brilliant he's going to he's that that is a multiple world player of the year winner and and european champions cup player of the of the season winner guy Mm
2: -hmm. like
1: i think he's that good like he 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 burst onto the scene he not not the socks off it playing for ireland And he's just going through that motion. It seems like everyone's like that, that whole hype around him has died down where everyone's just expecting him to be like brilliant again. You know, like everyone's expecting him. He's, he's, he is, um, uh, Leinster's Antoine DuPont, you know, like you expect him to do everything brilliant all the time. And he's only 24 years old, you know, like he's got years and years ahead of him. So, sorry, I'll go off on a little bit of a tangent there, but I think, I think between the hook and the scrum off, they were absolutely brilliant and, and backed up by, by Charlie Nattai, who I thought was great. You know, he didn't, he put in a couple of big hits, but I just thought really good offers a great boot. And then like, you know, as, as usual, the, the tight five and the Lucy's all did well, but I thought Ross Maloney was very handy on Saturday.
2: Yeah.
0: I think, you know, you raised, I think a lot of good points just quickly on Sheehan. I, I, I yeah, you know, I I don't think that's that take is actually that like wild actually, because it's not that I mean, look, we remember when Malcolm Marx came into the scene from a South African perspective, and just obviously his ability around the park. Like we know how great he is in the racks, we know how good he is in, 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 in with ball in hand and, and, and in the tackle as well. Sheehan has all of those skills, probably not as good as Marx on the ground. Um, at least at this stage of his career. And he's already sorted the line-out throwing. He's pretty much, I think, only missed literally a handful of lineups this season. Uh, Marks, that was something that he struggled with in the early part of his career. The only thing that he needs to really sort out is scrumming, which is more a consequence of him and Porter being a bit tall than something that, you know, is an issue. Maybe, you know, he just needs to be paired up better with, like, a front row like Marx was with um Kitzorf and, and Malherba he's got pretty much everything that you want from a hooker and you know got sort of the running ability that maybe a Dane Coles had like early in his career he's got obviously he's got the work rate that you want from a hooker he's good in the lineouts he's gonna grow in the scrums like geez he's a really good player and you just saw with that burst of pace when he scored his try like Big men should not be moving like that. And somehow Dan Sheen is able to do that.
1: Um, he's yeah, just he's sh- fast. Yeah, go on, he's mm. fast, man. He's, he's tall and he's fast. I mean, what's he, 110, 115 kg, somewhere around there. He's, mm. uh, I think he's one, I don't know. I think he's close on two meters, maybe just shy of two meters. Um, like yeah, 195 or something like that. Like, and, and he's athletic. He's super athletic. He's got great hands. He's got great vision. He he often I often see him playing. He looks to pass and link. So that's the mm. kind of thing that you almost don't expect from a hooker. Like you, we like a lot. Of, even even Furlong, who's who's a, who's got great hands and distributes well. Like in certain opportunity, uh, certain places, he's going to carry chuck it up because he's got the bulk behind him. And Sheehan's got, got all of that. Like, he really has a lot of everything. Like, a lot of players have, have bits of everything or they have a lot of something on one side of, of, of that sort of mobile hooker or, or tight five hooker, where he seems mm. to have a lot more than average on a, lot more, on a lot more spaces. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing how he does in, in the future. He also seems to have a very, very calm head on his shoulders. Very calm. Like, nothing phases him, man. He's really chilled.
0: Yeah. I think just to shout out a few other um, good performers for Leinster, uh, you can't really go past, um, you know, when you look at the tackle stats and we said, Leinster made more tackles than to lose. I think that the top four players in those tackle stats are probably the top four players for Saturday. Josh van der de Flier, Caelan Doris, uh, James Ryan and Jack Conan. Um, with Van de Flea and Doris, I think there's a part at the start of the second half or end of the first half, start of the second half, when Toulouse is trying to get back into the game. Um, we're going to talk now quickly about um, the, the, the decision of when they subbed in um, Grau and, and put Dupont in the midfield. So Toulouse is trying to get that offload game going. And we all know that if you don't kill the, the ball and you don't um, make the rug ball slow, that Toulouse is going to cut you up. Like, they will carve you up any, any which way. And what Doris was doing, especially in the second half, was every ruck that he had an opportunity when there's maybe a cleaner that wasn't too diligent or Grower was taking it too long to clear the ball, he was there and he made his life a living hell. And, you know, yeah. we know that Doris is probably one of the best ruck operators in the world. And, you know, Fander is obviously just a defensive beast. Like, he will always be top of the tackle stats. He's... Obviously did really well putting Conan away for that second try, too. James Ryan, yeah. I saw someone saying that James Ryan's the best hook in the northern hemisphere. I mean, best lock, sorry, in the northern hemisphere. Yeah, I, I can't really fight that at the moment. On form, I I don't think there's a better lock um in the world. He won his personal battle with um Manuel Miafu. So yeah, that hopefully gets Leinster and Ireland sort of beating their hoodoos against like big Pacific Island locks. So hopefully Mm. now they can go to the skeleton battle next time. And then Jack Conan, actually very interesting because the commentators were talking about that, you know, Conan didn't have the best form in uh, the 2022 season. And I remember, I think we talked about this on the pod because Conan was probably the biggest revelation, at least from a South African perspective um, in the Lions series, because he was one of their best players and he wasn't a player that you know, I think I or maybe some other people were aware of before, and then in the next season he wasn't as good, and now this in part of this season he's starting to play like his best rugby again, and it came out that apparently he was struggling with illness um, last yes, season, which that. is probably the reason why. So yeah, he came back in a big way, and I was someone that was thinking maybe he should start um, Ryan Baird, you know, go with a bigger pack, especially playing as Toulouse have Conan come on as an impact player and yeah he impacted the game from minute one so he was great he scored two tries he's just yeah just such a great work rate and he combines well with doris and van der de and yeah i think those four being top of the tackles i think just symbolizes how important they were in stopping to lose getting the attack going and yeah you can say like they missed you know close to 30 tackles um the the length of team but they never really looked under threat um, from Toulouse breaking them open in, in the majority of the game.
1: They missed, those, they missed those tackles in the right areas. Like, if you're going to yes. make a mistake, you've got to make exactly a mistake like in, the, in certain areas.
0: Exactly like the Island France game. Like, it's yeah. so funny how this game is going in a very similar way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And I tell you, there was a lot of hype about Ryan Baird uh, a month or two ago. And I was just reading up a lot of like from the Irish fans and, and some of the um, like fan accounts on Twitter and all that. And the guys mm. were like unsure about whether he should be locked or on the side of the scrum and, and they were like where they're gonna fit him in and everything. But he he's like really just stamping his authority down. Like he knows we all know that he's not gonna be starting if everyone's fit. But he's most certainly made made himself um, a, a, a guaranteed match day twenty three player which which is great for someone in that setup like you know for a big guy like he's really he's really done well so he's he's someone to look out for um that I think is probably still going to have a lot more to say um in the next two or three years when it comes to Leinster and Ireland he's his quality he's a quality operator
0: yeah i think with yeah i think he's just a talented player and you know um leinster just produces <laughs> them all at the time at this time yeah, I love the Ross Maloney shot as well, by the way. I think he really grafted well. And, you know, he was just that in-between guy of, you know, not he's not going to be getting the front page um, stories. Yeah, I know Jason Jenkins is probably someone that I think many Leinster fans wanted to start against the big Toulouse pack, but he did his job and he did it really well. Yeah. Yeah, let's go now to the Toulouse side of things. And, yeah, you alluded to it, alluded to it earlier. So... Pierre Barassi um, gets an injury, I think, in the first 15 minutes of the game. It happened quite soon, I think, before um, the Thomas Ramos yellow card. So Toulouse actually happened after. So Toulouse then lost a player, and they lost their 13, and they had a 6-2 split. On their bench, you must correct me if I'm wrong, on their bench was um, Grau and Retier, which are two players that play most at scrum off, but Retier is someone that can play on the wing.
1: Yes. now what you were seen as as an outside back winger for essentially in this in this game, yeah, yeah
0: mm. now what um you, um christopheros did was instead of putting Retier on at wing and then putting someone like Malia in the midfield to partner with Peter Aki, he puts grow on at nine, which meant that Tamak plays ten and DuPont was playing. Any position from ten to fifteen. I'm not too sure where you can actually put him because he was just popping up everywhere. And yeah, I, 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 Sean, I think most people were confused about that decision about why you would displace two of your best players, never mind pretty much the best player in the world, out of position um, instead of there's a pretty e- there's a much easier replacement that you can do there. And look. I mean, I'm one that doesn't necessarily like the 6-2 split. And like you said earlier, it's not necessarily a fault of the 6-2 split because there was a change available. But yeah, for whatever reason, Christophe Eros decided that he mustn't put his best scrum the best scrum off in the world playing at scrum off. Because the main problem that Toulouse had was carrying their ball at the rucks and really getting like out of their half. And those are two things that obviously Anton Dupont is amazing at.
1: Yeah, he's vital at that. and. What, what's even more frustrating, so every, like, I, mean, it was, I saw Jared and myself and someone else tweeted, okay, DuPont's going to 10. So when we saw that change, it was in the 14th minute that Malia, um, sorry, I don't lie, I, I lie Barassi goes off. Barassi. Outside center got, has an injury, he goes off. Grau comes on, who is a scrum off. He's an out and out scrum off. So it makes sense to then move DuPont because you're not going to put him anywhere else. He's not a winger. He, you know what I mean? He's not. Um, so then it makes sense to move DuPont to 10. But I'm glad you said what you did about DuPont popping up because I didn't see DuPont line up anywhere specific. So mm. it, to me, it looked like how England used Farrell and Smith where Farrell does a bulk of the work wearing the 12 jersey, and Smith is kind of hovering around in the background and inserts himself when he sees an opportunity. That is by far the worst way you could ever use Antoine DuPont. (laughs) Like, it could work, but it is the... I would rather he played 15 as an out-and-out fullback. It was the worst. You want DuPont to get his hands on the ball. He, firstly... The skill level and and the kind of passes he can execute are are up there with the best in the world by far. S- secondly, his vision and how he sees stuff ahead of time and is able to manipulate people, like it makes no sense that he he got hands on every three or four phases. It doesn't make mm. sense to me. It was it was terrible. And you know you you the, the decisions coaches make and you're like flip man that's world class like. It's the heat of the moment. It's a knockout game. You've got to make a decision. They've obviously planned this. Uh, well, and the thing is, the irony is in French rugby, you kind of like, well, did, maybe they maybe they just went on a gut feel, like a random shot. But they must have done a bit of work around this. And it didn't work out. But in hindsight, and at the time, it didn't make sense. Because for me, so so this is my issue. So on the right wing, Malia, the Argentinian, is playing. Malia has played, has played 10 for Toulouse. He's also played outside center for Argentina. So mm. he is what you would consider a top flight outside center. He has the ability to play that position. He's also played at 10 for Toulouse. So there's an option there. You could move um, Malia to 10, keep DuPont at 9, Intermach to 12, and Peter Aki to 13. And then you bring on, uh, and then you bring on Retier instead of bringing on mm. a at nine. That's the one option. The other option is if you're going to make that substitution is you move DuPont to 10 and into Mark to 12 and Aki to 13. Like mm. it really, it was, it was bizarre. M- Malia can go to 13 and then you put Retier on and then nothing else changes. You know, it was, it was bizarre. It really was like when they made that change, I thought this didn't make sense to me, but I was like, okay, what do I know? You know? And then, and then I watched how it played out and I saw so little of DuPont playing the game. It doesn't make sense for what this man does as an individual. He can literally run a whole game plan with himself. Like he can run it and execute it left foot, right foot, short kick, long kick, whatever. Um, So yeah, that that was a big error compound all of this now with with when when grau comes on he he was he was take he didn't wasn't in the pace uh, with the pace of the game as quick as he should have been he had a couple of poor kicks so that all compounds Mm. the error and ramos is yellow carded um toulouse are in a heap of doing they're trying to figure out where dupont's playing dupont's trying to figure out where he's playing which is a bit weird so maybe he knew where he was playing but then there's extra gaps and they just couldn't. Like if Ramos got yellow carded like ten minutes later, it the outcome of that yellow card would have not been as harsh because I believe that the Toulouse side would have been able to settle a little bit. I'm trying to think when he got yellow card. So the, the 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 um the substitute was made at fourteen minutes. The substitution, should I say, yeah. was made at fourteen minutes and the yellow card was at excuse me, while I hunt. Um and the yellow 15, card was at fifteen, like literally the minute after. Yeah. yeah, it was right then. So then everyone's like scrambling. Everyone's looking around, going, "Who's doing what? Who's responsible? Where?" Um, mm. and yeah. So and I'm bummed because my man Peter Aki was. He had a big carry first up. He scored a great try. I was. Yeah. I'm such a fan, and and he looked to me like he was really going to put in one of those role, uh, one of those performances. But for me, that's where where lose where that Toulouse broke down, down, where they just absolutely were nowhere. And the unfortunate thing about many sides, and it's not just the French, because Toulouse mentally are probably the strongest of the lot, but any side against Leinster, especially with respect to French teams, especially a French side, but when Leinster get on top of you, you know the writing's on the wall and the guys drop their head and then Leinster just, you know. And Leinster, Leinster was shaky in many places. Lama wasn't excellent. Lama was running around trying to find a gap. Like he, he was looking a little bit suspect for long periods of of time where I thought that, Mm. you know, Toulouse could really get on top of them and the Toulouse pack and Lucy's just really the, the pack really helped them out and just went through the motion and and add Gibson Park to that. You know, you want to look at the value of a nine. It's weird saying that with Dupont on the field, but you want to look at the value of how good a nine is. Um, If you don't have the pond, look at Gibson Park. So, yeah, there's that. There's that. But also, we are going to get onto a few of those other little tasty pieces in the game. (laughs) But what (laughs) do you, what what do you, you, sorry, what do you think of what happened and like how, what is the thinking Mm. in your mind? Like, I didn't, because it just doesn't make sense to me.
0: I, yeah, I guess they just wanted, I think they wanted all of their, I think they were like, okay, Brassi's off. And look, I haven't watched too much of Barassi, so I'm, I, you must correct me if I'm wrong. But the type of 13 he is, is he's like a, a more of a connector 13 than a, a bash-crash 13, if you want to put it like that. So he's yes. on the scale of like Conrad Smith to Manitou, like he's closer to the Conrad Smith type of 13, right?
1: Yes, and he's great to have if you've got Ramos. Because you want Ramos to have <laughs> yeah. hands-on as much as possible. But you're 100% right. He's, yeah. he's, he's a linking 13. He's not abrasive.
0: So I guess the thinking was, okay, we've now lost uh, a potential linker. We have Aki, who's obviously, you know, obviously he's much more creative than that, but he's more of a direct route one type of player. You have Malia and Labelle, who are obviously great finishers, but they aren't really playmakers. They aren't like, you know, Mack Hansen um as wingers so i guess they were trying to be like okay let's have more people that can be linkers and decision makers on the field so let's put grau on and then put dupont and tamak sort of roving in the back line so we can just cause i think back to the original point of the disruption thing that you're talking about earlier sean is more chaos and and more disruption for Mm -hmm. um for facing leinster i guess unfortunately i mean it was sort of a bang bang call because the yellow card happens, or oh, yeah, I think the injury happens then the yellow card. So maybe if, if if they had the time over, they would have tried to go for a bit more of a, a think just to steady the ship because you could see for because there were three tries conceded during the yellow card, and all three of them were a consequence of um of Malia just being a bit out of position and just not really knowing where he should be, and I think that's a big consequence of obviously losing your fullback and. <laughs> You kind of playing 13 in defense but not really and trying to um fit somewhere and i leinster was surgical in trying to target that right wing in 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 those three tries they they
1: made no there was no hiding anything there was no poker mm -mm. face there was nothing they were like we're gonna attack (laughs) you here good luck
0: and yeah you last team in the world you want to have a weakness in is i as leinster and island i guess because they will go for it over and over again but yeah i agree with you sean it just did not play out well in practice i don't think if you have to decide between keeping your best players in their preferred position and not i will always choose to keep them preferred position i think that's just my sort of point of departure so, yeah, and the, only, the other thing was, I'm sure Grau is a, is a really good scrum off. I'm sure he's a good, young, talented, like nine. But on the base of this match on Saturday, he just could not handle the Leinster racking and counter racking and the pressure they were putting on him.
1: And that was the weakness that's that, that they saw. They saw weakness yeah. there. That was like, they were like literally going, you, go, you guys are literally giving us something that we're, we're doing well at, which is the tight mm. the, the, the five, or well, the pack. You know we're good over here at the moment you're giving us a nine that that we can we could possibly f- mess around where it was never going to happen yeah. with DuPont and then, yeah so
0: and that's the thing it's not I, I'm not blaming him solely for that it's not that Grau was anywhere bad it's just that number one DuPont in those situations he has the power to just take any sort of dirty ball and to make something out of it like he can just sort of hand off a thousand people in, in a row and, and make a meet or two just to keep the attack going. And obviously it comes back to the forwards and them just not, they them not even really matching the Lenser pack and their efforts. Like for me, and I'm a big um, Flamont and Crow fan and they just didn't really have the game that they were supposed to have on Saturday. They were really outclassed by the Lens the loose trio. I, th- I thought Jack Willis was probably, you know, the best of he the rest. Off. You know, out beast. of the Toulouse loose trio, he was he was fantastic. Like, out of, England out of, need to change that rule very quickly. <laughs> That's they'll have I'm him for the today. World
1: Cup. They now need to decide whether he's worthwhile organising <laughs> for the future, the World Cup, which I, I believe yeah. he is um is. It's a different
0: yes from, from, from me.
1: <laughs> I think I think Jack Willis. If you had to pick out of the the starting six, seven, and eights for that game, I think Jack Willis. Um, I think he he makes the combined. Luce
2: mm.
1: I, I really do. Yeah. Um, because he was, he was industrious, man. He was massive. Um, yeah, oh, sheesh, man. He was, he was so good, but yeah. Oh, what So could have been, I think eh?
0: my, yeah. So my thing was you are not clearing the ball. Well, you're now killing your, your, your quick ball, um, attacking game. Anytime you get some form of momentum and someone gets behind the defense, if your forwards are two seconds too slow, Doris or Ryan or Van der Fleer is going to get their arms, legs, shoulders, knees, and toes like in the way of the ball. Grau's going to struggle to clear the ball. That kills the attack. If they get tackled back, Grau's going to struggle to get the ball. You kill the attack. So I, I would have wanted if they're going to do this, DuPont should play like attacking nine, and Grau should like stand, I don't know, as like a fourth flank, if he must, and stand in the pods. Because you want Dupont there to be able to make those decisions about carrying the ball and everything, then in defence, <laughs> I'm going to say Dupont must play the defensive nine as well. Marshall I was waiting for that. Two. I'm like, okay, <laughs> cool.
1: So he's playing nine. <laughs> Excellent.
0: <laughs> but yeah, he, you, you need his kicking because there are so many opportunities, or so many chances there where Toulouse just really couldn't clear their lines, and we know we know by now how good Dupont is, and just putting you. 30, 40, 50 meters, um, you know, back into an opposition's half. And Toulouse needed that person to just get them back into the game because it just became a bit too frantic. Like, you can see just on the stats that, yes, Toulouse was getting a lot of um, defenders beaten, and they... (laughs) A crazy stat here is... So Leinster had only four offloads the whole game, which is quite crazy because Leinster, I mean... They're not to lose, but they can offload the ball. To lose at 23. So the offload game was happening, but it just didn't really produce any fruit because, in terms of clean breaks, Lens had six and to lose at four. So it just, I feel like it just killed both your attacking and your defense in one go. And yeah, I think it, we're well, we going to start, we can start talking about the other decisions, but I think that was pretty much a killer for them um, in terms of what... um, in terms of what they wanted to do so i think that was a big mistake and i don't quite understand what they're trying to achieve because especially with how the game was going maybe it was a say it was a thing that the, the substitution was made before the yellow card so they thought it would be with ramos on the field and yeah it just became like a double jeopardy situation sean let's move to the two big decisions in the game i think let's start with oh actually there are probably two or three talking points, and. Yeah, uh, you can probably go to your Twitter account and see how, <laughs> uh, let's say, feisty the conversation <laughs> has become around the referee and Saturday's game. So let's start at the back with um, the netty yellow card. So, uh, Toulouse is setting up for a box kick. Um, Josh van der uh, they obviously set up a caterpillar. Josh van Fleer this, is the is,
1: Irish, this is the Irish Josh van der Fleer, because eh? he was diving. It's not the South African. For <laughs> South so African, not, he wouldn't have been diving, yeah.
0: The Wicklow Josh van der Fleer, not the Joburg one. Correct. So he Correct. comes, I guess, and I want to talk to you about this and ask you what do you think he was doing. I think he's trying to obviously disrupt the, the Caterpillar and kind of do a little bit of a, you know if he can sort of bump it and push it back and then Grau can spill the ball, he's trying to get into that because back to the point that we made earlier, Leicester saw an opportunity because the the number nine was not as secure as, you know, DuPont would be. So number one, I don't think Josh Bonafare ever does that with DuPont playing because they would just accept that the ball's going 60 meters. They should all just set up to to try and regather the ball. Number two, he goes and... Um, Ron Nety was at the head of this caterpillar. <laughs> I think he uh, and Sean, you were at Ado recently. I guess he was trying to be one of those elephants or rhino that you might have seen there, and yeah. tried to like sort of shift him with his head. So,
1: yes. and exactly.
0: what's interesting, and I don't think that was played in the replay. The initial replay was this happened twice. So Josh goes, and neti just sort of swings his head and and knocks him, I guess, on his chest. I guess Van der Fleer does the maths quickly and says, oh, this is an easy yellow card that I can mock here. Yeah? So he goes again. Nettie does the exact same thing. And Josh um, takes, a, let's say, a, a bit more time on the ground than he, he would normally. And yeah, then the the yellow card comes out. So Sean, yeah, break that down because there's people saying Josh, should, Van der Fleer should have been the one card and there's people saying that Nettie should have got a red card. Like <laughs> we have a whole scale of of opinions on what should have happened. I don't I don't know if you can say what should have happened, but yeah, just your take on it, um, on what happened.
1: So uh, yeah, a lot happened. Um but this is something there was no ruck clearing counter rucking chance there. There was none of that happening. Honeyfleer mm. has gone in and seen this. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there if he had seen it earlier in the game um perhaps Um, because Hmm. the way, so the one thing that I do want to correct, so he, he, I, um, Nettie not correct. So I want to highlight Nettie is bound with his hands. So he's standing over the player. One of his players on the ground, he's got both his hands between his legs in like a mini little bit of a small squat position, but he's got both his hands gripped on the Jersey. So, and he's at the head of this Caterpillar, the front man in the ruck, but Leinster don't have anyone really involved in the front. so it goes there. What Netty does is he braces himself, but he then pushes and leads forward with his head, like leans forward and then drives up. So the driving up part you generally do in rugby, when you hit someone, you drive up, it takes them off their feet, and then you own that collision. Um, it also if you the if a player is able to stay lower, they have a lot more power. But the problem is, is like all of this he's done, he's done it to really make a mark and say, like, I am the boss of this of the space and <laughs> Fleer, he hasn't gone into clear. He's gone in high. He's gone in really soft. Like he hasn't wrapped an arm. Like th- that's what people were saying. Oh, but he he's gone in high and, and he's, he's upright and blah, blah, blah. If, if Netty had not done anything, Van would have hit him square in the face and it would have been soft. And he would have, he would have had to take a dive in order for something to happen. But that's essentially what would have happened. He's then dropped and he's the first little, sort of altercation that happened was the warning shot across the bow. And when Van der Fleer came back for the second one, he's like, ah, oh, you haven't learned your lesson. Let me show you. And he's held <laughs> that all of this has now worked out in his favor. So he, he, has, he has looked at, he's taken the opportunity. He has milked the penalty from a hothead. Okay. And, uh, and, and he has milked it more on the ground um, to get a penalty and, and a yellow card and yeah i think i think the yellow card was the right thing i think it possibly could maybe get cited and then they'll say was it a red card offence you could totally see why it's not a red card offence but you can also see why it could be just because of the aggression side but funafleur has, has approached that he hasn't approached that well in any way shape or form he's approached it purely with one goal and that's to uh, to get something out of it and he did it was the right call. It was a shitty way of coming about it, and Wicklow, Van der Fleer must uh, not be like that anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you think there should be something done about someone like Van der Fleer getting going into a, a more situation where, like you said, he had pretty close to zero chance of doing anything in that situation? Do you think referees should also penalise a player that's, <laughs> I guess, instigating, Simulating. if I can put it like that? Well, yeah. He, oh, okay, the diving, before the diving, just the, him going into a ruck like that no, a bit no. high,
1: what do we do we about that? We should that. So, you must, mm. so the other thing I forgot to mention is Nettie's got to stay bound. If he doesn't stay bound mm. at the bottom, so he doesn't be able to lift his hands up to, to draw forward because then he'll become unbound, and then I do believe there will be an opportunity to counter-ruck and, and cause chaos, even though a Caterpillar was caught, was formed. I do feel that. So he's Mm. stayed with his hands bound and and done this whole situation. With regards to Fun of Fear, trying to get this listen, any sport ever, you know that if you spot any weakness in someone's game, whether it's a hothead or he's he's got a poor pass or whatever, you're gonna chirp him, you're gonna draw it out of him, or you're gonna like tell him straight up, like, you know, don't like you, you see someone that tries to take a chance and you tell them straight up like don't if you do that again, I'm gonna flatten you. Not as a punch, like as a hit tool, and they can take it how they wish, you know. And um, so, no, what he did there, or before the the staying down part, to not, it wasn't simulation. I, it was simulation. He was hit. It was more to create tension, which is against the the what the goodness of the game or the gentlemanly conduct or whatever. Like all of that leading up. Fundamentally, I must go for it and do it. Nettie's got to conduct himself better. Um, mm. to, to be fair, if Nettie hadn't lifted his head that soon, because he would have he would have clocked Fanaflea um, in the sternum with his forehead, and and you probably find Fanaflea could have actually um, got uh, got in, got a little maybe conceded a penalty in that situation because he would, Nettie was moving forward. Like there's a couple of things to look at. It's quite a weird one, um, but I think the right outcome was was reached definitely under that circumstance
0: yeah i guess so and yeah i think we need to as this is the 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 tricky thing with um rugby at this moment and i guess the other question or comment that i want to make i'm sure is now the influence of the crowd because benderfleer knows he's playing in dublin he's playing the viva stadium (laughs) a lot of controversy about (laughs) the whole dublin home advantage Mm. thing but he knows that he's playing in Aviva. He knows that him staying down will probably result in a replay. The replay will be seen or will be on the big screen, and then the crowd will obviously go crazy. And the referee will have pretty close to no choice but to make some sort of call. So I don't know if we can, I mean, yeah, I watch a lot of football, so I'm relatively used to players embellishing in order to get a call or to, you know exaggerating the the bit of contact that they had because also players need to do that not only for, in in the football sense for their own protection but also to show the ref be like hey <laughs> i was fouled here i was tripped this guy didn't get the ball." now i don't think we can really get away with that get away from that in rugby like as much as we can say spirit of the game or like that's just something that we can um we can't really get away from. So I think that then makes it uh, it makes a difficult thing and I don't know if the only solution isn't that we play replays on the big screen. Maybe that's sort of the the main suggestion there because these situations will always happen in places where, you know, a player can see and sort of play up to the home advantage of, you know, staying down and all that sort of stuff. And obviously there's but, a lot of arguments against that.
1: But what if, what if the TMO had picked that up before the crowd got involved and, and, Mm -hmm. and after he had done, like another bugbear of mine, something that really pisses me off, um, is, is this whole, like, oh, the home, the home, um, broadcaster, you know, he has all the power. Uh, It's okay. It's happening in Dublin, you know, but remember when it happened in France, it's the same old shit story when someone gets a cuck decision in rugby and gets yellow carded the south africans will be like yo but you remember when bismarck was carded like that that <laughs> crap. Like that whole i it pisses me off like it, you're gonna just end up with a whole bunch of people unhappy because they're always gonna want to want to one up you know they're all like feel all hard done by about something that happened 11 years ago so like uh, that shit must stop ASAP and and people like world rugby need to show that that's not the case in somehow or they need to manage mm. it so people can just get over it but there is going in a professional game in in trying to there's constantly there's constantly communication like if you in the La Rochelle game Greg Aldridge was was adamant that there was no trying he went up to the ref and he was just like paper or Mr. Ref like he has not grounded the ball he has not grounded the ball it's the same, it's the same thing. He kept saying, do go upstairs. He kept making that, that action for like TMO and paper yeah. was having none of it, but it's exactly the same thing as what Van der Fleer did. You, you're bringing the ref's attention to something that you believe someone has missed. So we've got to, we can't have one without the other, like same yeah. as Nick White. Everyone's, everyone's thinking about it. The same as Nick White against Fuff the Clack in the rugby championship last year, Nick White was the contact was made to the face it's illegal and he pointed it out to the referee by by not simulating but by well maybe it, i don't know like by making them aware that something was a foul was committed and then the team was like oh i've yeah. got to have a look at that and boom so how do we fix all of it we don't um we need to try and eradicate we need to stick hard to I'm sorry, but like that whole rugby value is like, we don't, we're not going to get to where football is. And it'll happen every now and then, but as a whole, it won't. Like Brian Abana, um, uh, later on in his career with, the with the whole thing. Do you remember how he used to fall in contact and, and try and arch his yes. back so his head would make contact with the ground first? Because the law was <laughs> if your head makes contact, it's a, it's a tip tackle and, and then there'll be cards. I hated it. And he got berated by a lot of people, players, fans, everyone. And he eventually stopped it. And we didn't see much more of it. But that's the kind of thing. Like, you're professional athletes, You want to get as much of what is happening uh, in your favor. And you want to point it out as much as possible. And sometimes you try and feel like you're doing it subtly. And when you look at it on TV, you're like, whoa, I've definitely, <laughs> I've definitely won an Oscar there. Gone kind of- a gone a bit too wild there <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah it's oh, it's a tough one but i i i do think um i think this issuing straight up yellow cards and 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 the tier, and a group of referees get to decide whether it goes to red afterwards i think is a great shot they're doing it in super rugby at the moment i think that's the mm. best way of things happening um because that way the referee doesn't make a poor decision <laughs> you know like, you know, he can he can look at it and go, "Cool, it's definitely definitely foul played and it's yellow card. Mm. There you go, t- in the bin. Five minutes later, they're like, "Listen, it's actually a red card." It gets upgraded. Referee gets told in his ear. Fans get told on the big screen, and he tells the the everyone, um, the uh, the captains and all that. Probably the best way of doing it for now, but it's not going to stop this kind of stuff happening.
0: Yeah, I think that's the. Plain reality of it. And yeah, rugby fans should, I think, just get into this and just get into this. The, that, like, ultimately, the good that we're trying to do with these things and uh, with um number one, like, obviously having the TMO involved, and then number two, taking a bit more time with like head contact issues is we try to stop, obviously, the worst case scenarios. It does mean that once in a while that there'll be incidents like this where. It might be that someone is embellishing and trying to make a meal out of something, but that shouldn't take away from the main goal that is, you know, having a safer game and having a game where the TMO as quick as possible can, can and as accurate as possible can make these decisions that help, you know, uh, rule the game. So yeah, maybe the, the Super Rugby idea. Actually, yeah, more and more that I watch games, the more I'm, I'm liking it, it can just take away that damn 20 minute record. But yeah, yeah, that's I
1: cut think cut. that's that,
0: I hate it. <laughs> that's closer to the right thing. Now, Sean, actually this kind of the 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 other two things. I mean, there was the Andrew Porter missed um yellow card sort of tip tackle situation. I don't know how that was missed. And then the Thomas Ramos yellow card, we can just go through those very quickly. I think the Porter thing is quite easy. There was a missed call day. They, they should have they should have blown that at the time. The I, Ramos. I'm gonna I'm gonna card, jump in there.
1: Sorry. Um Wayne Barnes picked it up and he had advantage for it. So mm. I, I, if, if we are going to lay blame anywhere, I, I do believe that the TMO should have got more involved in that because unfortunately it's a pet hate of mine. But often when a try is scored, um, a, a like for instance, if teams have multiple offsides and they have a team warning and uh, they then infringe and the ref's playing advantage and you know that so-and-so is going to get a yellow card, the team goes and scores a try then the ref doesn't give that yellow card like it almost like you're like cool well there's punishment enough there was advantage played I'm almost certain I'm doubting myself now mm. but I'm almost certain there was advantage played for that tackle it may have been relayed to him by a TMO or, or something because he wasn't watching directly on there but then the try was scored then to me that everything should have stayed as is TMO should probably have gotten involved had a look that was a yellow card I don't think it was a red card um, he probably landed on his back, but I mean, well, that's only from not really dissecting it super close, but that to me mm. is probably a yellow card and everything would have stayed as is, except portal would have been carded. So that's probably more where the TMO needs to, needs to get involved, um, with, with what's going on, but I don't know exactly what the TMO is checking, um, in the lead up, like once that was going on, the advantage was played. Perhaps the team I thought, okay, cool. Wayne Barnes is on top of this. Try was scored. Let me look at the two breakdowns leading up to the try. Was there a knock on or anything? No, there wasn't. And then maybe it slipped away that way. I don't know. But um, I do believe it was seen by on field. And it was once a try was scored, it was forgotten about or neglected.
0: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So now about the knock down, knock up. Knock on intentional knockdown situation. So Ramos, you know, I think this has been something that's been discussed a few times over the years. But Ramos, well, in this case, he hit the ball up, but he probably had very little chance of him regathering the ball and and taking it forward. He did that obviously because he was on a two two on one situation. So I think the intent is clear of what he's trying to do. And yeah, there's a lot of people also talking about like it should be clear that the rule is if you knock down, it's a yellow card. If it's a knock up, it should just be a knock on. What do you think about that?
1: I think what he did was a yellow card offense. That was a professional Mm. foul to stop uh, Lens to scoring. He was in shit and he needed to make a play. The thing is, if Mm. you want to make a blanket uh, law, uh, amendment to the law saying if you knock it down, when else did you see someone knock the ball down? Yeah. They've, stopped, they've <laughs> stopped doing that. Everyone's hitting the ball up because the laws are are worded in a way that you must be in a realistic position to intercept it. So he, he flapped at it to intercept it, and he lost control of it afterwards. Valiluru, we've seen him go up and just touch gently up. And then you're like, oh, he's actually mm. in with a shot there. That's the that's difference. He knocked that ball up. He didn't even try and go for it afterwards. He just frustratingly flapped his arms down and turned around. Like he'd knocked the ball mm. far enough away. That's a yellow card. Well, there shouldn't be any issues at all. I don't even know. Did yeah. they even check to see if it was penalty try worthy? I think they might have um, because there was definitely a, an overlap on the blind, but yeah. I think they had cover. I think
0: there was cover. Yeah. yeah, there,
1: yeah. Was... So that was 100% the right call. Really bang on. And 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 yeah. I don't think you can argue that he was trying to go for it. He even didn't try and argue that.
0: <laughs> yeah. The, the irony of like the people that always have an issue with these yellow cards is this is probably the most pro attacking rugby thing that rugby does at the moment is to say like, if you're trying to interfere with a, a, an attack, whether you're knocking up, down, sideways, whatever, we're not going to sort of, we're going to penalize you for that. Like it can't be that you're, you could just put your hand up and just knock the ball up and have no sort of chance of catching it. And then you stop the two on one situation that you're in because, you know, we're trying to promote attacking rugby. So I don't get why people haven't have that much of an issue with it because, you know, this is actually a very pro attacking rugby move and trying to get more tries scored. That if you're not in a realistic position to stop an attack by tackling the person or just gathering a, a legit intercept, then yeah. It's gone. Hmm. Like, maybe there's some decisions that have been more close to 50-50s. That's fair. But in a situation like that, like you said, Sean, like he had very little chance of catching it. So, yeah, it shouldn't be that controversial. But, yeah, there was definitely, I had to use a few Google Translates um, during the course of the game um, from some French um, tweets that I was seeing. But, yeah, they were (laughs) definitely not happy with um, Wayne Barnes. Wayne Barnes has had such a long career, Sean, that I feel like he's basically pissed off every country now. So every country can say that Wayne Barnes, they, he hates them or he favors this team and all that sort of stuff. Because it literally goes from a full circle now from the original New Zealand um, France quarterfinal in 2007, all the way now to French fans in this Toulouse game going, no, Wayne Barnes hates the French.
1: <laughs> Listen, if you're a referee, at some stage, you're going you're gonna to hate somebody somewhere along the line. Someone's going to come up with something. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it is, man.
0: Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I, I think let us, Oh, I don't know if there's any final things you want to say about the game, but yeah, I think in general all that being said, Leinster was just by far the better team, and even if it just seemed like even if they didn't have the yellow card, it just seemed like they had more for Toulouse than Toulouse had for them, but yeah, the yellow card, yeah. I think the first 100%. yellow card was a big hundred uh, you know, percent changing point in the game.
1: Yeah, well done to Leinster they really, they did what Leinster do and Toulouse are uh, I really this this last tool hurt way more than than last year. Um, they mm. they were in with a chance. They were in with a shot, and they and it was it was their it was their own doing that stopped them from being in with a chance because they weren't in with a chance after seven minutes, ten minutes. They weren't in with a chance anymore.
2: So I lie after after fifteen after fifteen twenty. You know. So yeah, yeah. Next year, bud. Yeah,
1: next year.
0: Okay, let's move to the other quarter um, semi final less controversial but still a big um, statement win for La Rochelle beating Exeter forty seven points to twenty eight, scoring seven tries <laughs> in a in a Champions Cup quarter final. Like, yeah, that that I think says a lot. Um, yeah, should Sean? I think it just shows that yeah, there's a There's a top three in in, in European rugby at the moment. Maybe Toulouse just has a bit of a a, a bogey against Leinster. You can actually argue that La Rochelle has a bogey, like Toulouse is their bogey team. So maybe it's just a matter of, it depends on which matchup, but there's a top three in Europe and then it's the rest. And La Rochelle, it was different from the other game where yes, Leinster played well, but you can maybe argue if Toulouse played at home and, if X and Y happened, that maybe it would be much closer. This one was a complete thrashing. It was two yeah. classes between these two teams.
1: And to think they lost uh, Bottier, who, for those that don't know, plays either at center or at flank. <laughs> um, they lost flanker <laughs> bot here, um after 20 minutes, and they didn't have Jonathan Dante playing. So, um, mm. But one thing I'm going to say, massive shout-out to Raymond Rule um and dylan Lates, yeah. both of them i wanted played. to but talk about it after this sorry rule was cooking but uh, i'll leave that to you we'll, we'll we can talk long and hard about south africans i have no problem but la mm-hmm. were great they they really were great they dominated everywhere exeter um i was chatting to someone yesterday and and they were like whoa exeter are really looking poor and and for me, this this is the Exeter that are currently around, like these results that we've seen. That that the game against the Sharks, I think it was, where they where they dominated. That's the old Exeter, but you're only going to see the old Exeter every now and then. You know, they've mm. still got it in their DNA. They just can't tap it all in at once. And uh, this current Exeter side, like, there's a lot changing. Um, so, yeah. I'm bummed for Vermeulen and, and Kirsten. I'm, uh, Vermeulen's, I'm a big fan. I think he's just an absolute beast, but he's had a really mm. up and down season with injury. He hasn't played a lot. So. But yeah, La Rochelle were incredible. And Eddie Jones needs to do everything possible to get Kerbalo into that Wallaby setup
2: mm. Because
1: having Kerbalo and Nick White in your match day 23 could be one of the greatest greatest things that could happen in international rugby because they are both clocks.
0: <laughs> okay maybe let's start with the kerbalo thing because yeah i
1: have a, a
0: take i mean look austin healy even said i think in kerbalo second try that he's the best scrum off not playing international rugby at the moment don't think there's too many competitors for that probably only Baptiste Siren. um mm. but yeah i think he's playing obviously he's playing really well he's you know been a big cog in the La Rochelle machine in the last few years. Now, I I don't know if I, I agree with you with the Wallabies call though, uh, only because of this. So obviously, at the moment, it might change. But at the moment, Australia has a limit of three overseas players that they can pick in their um, squads, and I would think that their priority should be Cooper, Karevi, Corbete, and. And or one of like you know the big locks that they can get like the skeleton skeleton, or or Arnold. So yeah, Kobola is probably maybe number five or number six in that list of priorities. So can he fit in? But let's say they take away the rule for the World Cup, which is likely because it seems like Eddie gets whatever he wants in Australia at the moment.
1: It'll be one of the biggest (laughs) moves Eddie's ever done if you can manage that. That'll be sublime, and it makes me shit scared.
0: Well, okay, my question is, how much better? I, I can maybe admit that he's he's probably better than um McDermott and uh Jake Gordon, but how much better do you think he is? Do you think he's legitimately game changing? Because I think Tate McDermott and Jake Gordon, especially McDermott, can basically do what cobalo does. It's just obviously a matter of experience and you know, like match awareness and everything. And yeah, I mean is great behind this La Rochelle pack, which is great, but the wallaby pack which doesn't have the same dominance that Lare has is not going to be as easy to play off. Of.
1: The wallaby pack if so if we're saying hypothetically that TKB gets into the wallaby squad as a as a as an external um, that means that Skelton's going to be there that means that one of the Arnold, the Arnold brothers will be there one or two of them. Mm. So their pack will be much better.
2: Fair I enough. think
1: EKB is brilliant. He's on top of his game. He's really in touch with his game and everything. Like he also he, he's, he also knows everything. He knows the Australian game. He knows the players and everything, but he, he knows the Australian game and how they play, what they want. I think he's brilliant. Uh, I really do. The thing is, is he, he's big. He's big. He, he, he's like an extra loose forward sometimes.
2: Yeah. And uh,
1: he's quick. He's got a phenomenal pass and a great kick. Like you really, really can't argue that. The other thing that I was hoping—I don't know anything about his contractual, uh, this the length of his current contract and whatnot—but I was uh, hoping that he would sign a um, a short-term Super Rugby deal with someone, you know. But um, I just, uh, you know, like if he goes there and signs. Maybe if he signs for an NRC side or something like that for like six months, if he goes out of contract to be in Australia, then he'll qualify and get picked and he won't go as an outsider. But uh but you're right. Um I think that probably that the the win the win they would get with Kerbalo is not bigger than a win they would get with um either a Cooper or a Karevi or a Korobeti. A Kerballo who rightfully could be in the will be in the match day 23 i believe if he's selected but as you mm. say mcdermott and gordon are are, are good enough and they're capped and they they're in the mix so like on that side of the things where i think he'll add value they're like but can we do without him probably you know is, is he good enough to take the place of um cooper carevi or uh, Skelton or Corobetti? Um, probably not. Like it's not like they're really in shit with scrum offs, but Flippy would make a difference, eh? Your-
0: <laughs> yeah. Look, as a impact player off the bench, I mean, he did that basically with the All Blacks in the 2010s. Like, you can't get too much better than him. Like, he would. I mean, start. he was.
1: He would start. He would start. I don't he would think start. So. Come on, him. You need and, Nick White's kicking White. game. And, and Game him and White at the start. Would alternate. Would alternate starting. That's how I see it. When you said to me like other scrum halves, I was gonna say TKB would probably if sorry if he was there long enough, um uh, he would he would he would be the starting nine, but but mm. him him and Nick White could alternate. I'm telling you, if he got in the mix now, it would essentially mean that McDermott to Gordon would not see a big test match in the period that Nick White and TKB were playing. That's yeah. how good I think he is, and they are as a combo. They, they, mm. There's horses for courses there with those two nines. You can start white, you can start I TKB. So. They, are, they both add value in different spaces, but they both also can add value in not their, not their favorite place. Like they've got level heads on them. Oof, I'm, it's crazy, man. Crazy.
0: <laughs> so I think just moving on then, and speaking of players outside of the international um, scene, yeah. So for South African fans, I think this Rochelle should be like your second team if you're looking for a Champions Cup team because they have Raymond Rule, they have Dylan Leitz, they used to have Jan Liebenberg as well. And in this game, Raymond Rule just continues his like amazing try scoring record in Champions Cup knockout games. Like he seems to score two or three tries each, every like um, knockout period at this rate. And yeah, like, it seems like with him and Antoine Astoy, like Astoy just is able to find oh. him with all of his On kicks form, and man. cross kicks and all that stuff. He's playing really well. And that's ridiculous that he's probably the third choice <laughs> team for for France at the moment. Um, but rule of his, I think rule's just shown, not only in this game, but in the last you know three or so years, like how good he's been um, in, in Europe. He's probably one of the better or best um, wins in Europe at the moment. Sean, is there... And I mean, we know in the the second perception on him, and you know what happened with him in the Alistair Kutsia era, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, Sean, is there a more underrated player in South Africa at the moment, or that is a South African at the moment?
1: Dylan Late's last year, but right now, <laughs> if I had to look at, if I, I between Rule and Late's last year, they were both super underrated and that's just purely because there's not enough south african eyes on them uh the fan mm. fan eyes um I'm trying to think underrated um yeah <laughs> it's a good shot i'll tell you who's underrated is benhard jantz van Rensburg at london irish um mm. he's been knocking the house down um yeah you've been saying he's
0: maybe play of the season
1: oh in man the Premiership. Uh, no um, I was gonna say if you if you're picking a, a premiership um team of the of the season
2: mm. that you wouldn't yeah. go
1: wrong with having uh with having visa at eight, um Bernard Jans van Rensburg at twelve or thirteen and um Rob Depreer Jr. somewhere. You could actually have Pollard at ten, Rob Depreer at twelve, and Bernhard at at thirteen. Mm. <laughs> but anyway. I think I, I, I would tend to agree. I think Rule has been knocking down on that door, him and Lates, both of them, but Rule has been uh, knocking down on the door. And I'm so glad that he had this performance in front of, uh, in front of more South African eyes um, mm. which, because we just don't get to see as much top 14 um, unless you really go hunting for it. So it was great to see it, but he's looking good, strong, fast. He's played a lot at 13 for La Rochelle. Um, Dylan Nates has played a lot at 15, he's played at 10 um, so like both of those players are doing so well covering multiple positions and they've both signed contract extensions there if I'm not mistaken but rules, yeah. rules cooking and I'm loving it and it's just in the right time for Leinster and I, I can't wait I can't <laughs> wait for this final I cannot wait
0: oh my goodness yeah, I I wouldn't, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this and <laughs> I'll leave it. You can, if you want to uh, carry it and, and, and take it forward, you're welcome to. But I wouldn't be too, I mean, look, I, I know that the Springbok squad is basically set. So I don't think Raymond Rule is going to get in. But mm. if you told me that Jacques Naba just watched Saturday's game and he was like, you know what? I'm going to pick Raymond Rule over Makazun Mapimpi, I wouldn't be unhappy about it. That's all I'll say.
2: <sighs> yeah,
1: yeah. I'll leave it you. there. No, no, yeah. I can't, no. I can't. I can't. I can't leave that there. Like, are you <laughs> saying in the squad or, the or like at one match or what? I don't know. My pimpy, really, my oh, pimpy's cooking. Let me, my pimpy's yeah. cooking. Oh, let,
0: me, let me add. So, i don't, yeah. Uh, I won't say you can't my say I leave it in there cooking. and then try and
1: justify. It. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: it's not a justification. It's probably even more fuel to this fire. I look. I think there is maybe just you can sort of start seeing where like the the graph is sort of starting to curve down for Macazolma like, Pimpi. Not in a like drastic no. way yet, but I think there we can is talk about a, that in twenty
1: twenty four. He's he's <laughs> upward trajectory now, Matt. Upward. <laughs> But <laughs>
0: all I'm saying is Raymond Rule, as a as springboard number 11, I think we'd be doing quite well with that.
1: We would. Um, uh, you, you, you're 100% right. We, but we've got so many players that are working at the moment. I mean, and Colby played 15 yeah. this weekend. Um, so it's very – It's we, he's just like we're in a space where he was selected and everyone didn't want him there and we struggled for wingers and we were like, flip, we're in such a shit place. Then we get players together and then he starts cooking and then he can't make it. It's bizarre how things work. Yeah.
0: yeah but I'm just happy for him that he's, you know, enjoying yes. his rugby and Dylan and loving well. it in France. Yeah. They I've heard some interviews that they've had or either one or the other, like, yeah, they are definitely enjoying it. And Lara just seems like they have a really good, like team spirit. Just quickly. Other notes about the game. Um, I think the man of the match was um Ulupano Souteni. And oh. he's not a player that I'm too familiar with. I know he plays for Samoa. He's sort of bounced around in France for the last few years. But he's he had a brilliant game on Sunday, especially considering that they didn't have Jonathan Dante. Jules Favre, who usually plays thirteen, I think, with Dante, he played twelve. He played really well. I mm. you know. I think he should be seen as the third or fourth choice center for France. But um Souteni, like just as offloading and passing the line that he took for that first try um, or that try off um, Greg Aldred, you know, he was top four defenders beaten in the game. Like he had a brilliant game and yeah, there was a lot of good performances for, um, for, for La Rochelle. I think they, they just simply outclassed Exeter at the end.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I'm a massive fan of Seteni. Um he, do you remember in November when we played that, uh, the, the fantasy rugby and I, mm-hmm. I was, uh, after week one, I managed to claw my way up quite high. Um, he was the reason why I, um, <laughs> I, I picked him. He's he, uh, oh, I, I, I rate him. He plays 10 often. Um, he can play pretty much 10, 12, 13. I think he's played 15 before, like. He's a big guy. He's fast. He's got great hands, but he's also got some flipping great vision. Like just his Mm. the way he hits a line and how he accelerates through it, like that try that he scored that very, very late. Like he was so late on that. He was so deep and he held off and he waited. There's no ways I would have had the patience to wait that long. Like he just waited and he was so deep when he got that ball. If he got hit there, they were in heaps of Dwang because like there was no one behind him. (laughs) So, you know, Exeter would have probably turned him, but he just waited and he knew exactly where he was going. And then he cruised big fan. I like him. He's a, he's a beast.
0: Okay. And then, yeah, I think like you said, you're very excited about this game. Oh yeah. Just another quick shout out to, um, I don't know how to say his name because I don't think I've actually heard it being said, but the uh, number six for um, La Rochelle, Ultan Delane, who's, an, I think, Irish he's Irish
1: player. Ultan Delane, yeah. yeah. He's Irish, man. He's got Irish But yeah, Catholic. he was, yes.
0: But yeah, he was also really good on, on, on Sunday. I'm I, Not, again, not as familiar with his story, but yeah, obviously he's played now, I think, in La Rochelle. I think this is his first season in La Rochelle and he was... Yeah, you know, mainstay for conduct for a long time. But yeah, you know, he played really, really well. And he's yeah, you know, I think he'll obviously have a lot of incentive to really, you know, stick one up against um, you know, a much vaunted Leinster loose trio. So you know, yeah, he played really well and, and he's, Pierre Bogarit was just brilliant too.
1: Yeah, he's he's normally a lock, but he played on the side of the scrum. He's played. Just over twenty-five games for La Rochelle this season. That's a flippin' mm. impressive go, considering um, it's his first full season. Um, but yeah, he's had nineteen caps for Ireland. Like he was in the mix. It was. Yeah. I remember when when he signed that he was moving. It was quite like Connacht were a little bit like worried about. It. Um. But he yeah. um he was born in Paris. Funny enough, <laughs> he's um uh-huh. yeah he uh. He was born in France and then moved to Ireland. I think his mother's Irish, so he grew up in Ireland and everything. And that's yeah. So I do believe that at one stage he was weighing up whether to to declare for Ireland or France. But I think oh, because okay. he lived because he lived and and played in in Ireland his whole life, I think it was it wasn't really much of a of a decision to make. But yeah, over 100 caps for Connacht. He won the, the Pro 12 with them, um, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, it's uh, he's a great player. I dig him. I really dig him. And I, I, mm. again, one of those guys on the side of the scrum, I've talked about BJ Dixon, and I was like, he's probably more of a lock than a flanker. It almost looks like this could be the same case. I mean, maybe he's more of a, a blindside than a lock.
0: Yeah. And then, lastly, I because I I'd kill my I'd be so unhappy with myself if I don't say this, but Greg aldridge is in insane form at the moment. Like he had a bit of a dip early earlier this season, but he's fully, fully, fully back now. That is a very scary prospect for the rest of the rugby world.
1: Yep, um, he's he's a machine. Very interesting. Uh, the the commentary were um, I can't remember who was on comms, man. It was um, mm. the French Ely? no French hooker, French hooker ex captain uh, Kaiser. Yes, I'm sure it was Kaiser. But he was talking about how the one problem that La Rochelle have is they have after their starting front row move off their struggle, and it's and yes. literally like clockwork, they were gifting, um, they were just sort of coughing up penalties but i thought yeah super super impressive like uh La Rochelle. it's the gra- it's the best time for them to have this game ahead of La Ro- ahead of leinster this is what mm. you want you there's two things you want to have a real tight hard fought win so you can like get some of that character <laughs> that everyone talks about but the french the french need this this is what the french french sides need they need to swing it they need to play at home And the home crowd, like that little town, is just pumping and it's flipping madness. That's what they need ahead of Leinster. And I think that those guys are going to be frothing for the Champions Cup final. Goodness. Yeah,
0: it'll be a brilliant final. Um, Yeah, just one very final question, just in terms of initial thoughts about the final. But yeah, Leinster LaRachel will be playing in two weeks' time. They're going to have two games. Well, LaRachel's going to be finishing up with the top 14 in the next two weeks. Leinster's going to be in the knockouts for the URC. So LaRachel's at second, actually, in the top 14. They're probably just about home and host. Oh, no, not really. They're six points um, ahead of Stade. And I think their main goal is to just get enough points so they can start racing their players. Um, Well, if
1: they're second at the moment, you remember in the top 14, the top three, the top, sorry, the top two go straight into the the semifinals and then three, Mm. four, five, and six play in what is in inverted commas a a quarterfinal, but it's only two games. So they would really be hoping to, to, um, to, to make, to keep that top two. But if they don't make the top two, it doesn't matter. Well, it does. They they're still in the knockouts, but that's just an extra game for them and it's gonna be kind of hard because I know they really, really want to win the top fourteen. They've never done it. Well, I, I sorry, yeah. I, lie. I lied. I lied. I I don't know, but I, I don't think they've ever won it.
0: Yeah, so I guess the strategy for La Rochelle is they're gonna probably they can I think basically just doing quick maths here, if they win this weekend and they're able to make the gap maybe close to ten points, they basically now got that second place secured. So they're probably going to play their best team this weekend. They're playing Toulon and then probably rest their players Montpellier. Toulon Montpellier. Toulon away and Montpellier oh, away. Actually. No,
1: they're, resting, they're resting their Champions Cup team this weekend and away game. And it, next doesn't two, yeah, uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Do you think
0: next weekend as well?
1: No. Oh, I, and uh, Let me have a look at these fixtures quickly. So, so it's
0: Toulon away and then Montpellier away. So I'm wondering like what's the strategy. Two away
1: games in a row yeah according to this hmm um yeah that'll be that'll be um uh, interesting, but too long too long away this weekend you probably find they were, I would probably think they would rest up a few guys, and remember Toulon are uh, in the challenge cup final as well so <laughs> as well so it's, it's going to be quite interesting, but yeah they they're away this week, and then let me have a look at next week away again would be
2: would be interesting for them. I won't lie. As soon as everything yeah. updates over here, yeah. So it is, eh? yeah, prompt... so they'll they'll. But rest yeah, Montpellier, the
1: is... Montpellier. Yeah. Way they're they're iffy at the moment. All they've got left is is the top fourteen because they're out of everything else. And I don't even know if they're still in the running for it. So I think they're gonna rest up, guys. This week, next week they'll probably play a few of the fringe guys, and then they're gonna go just hit it freaking hard, hard in Dublin.
2: Mm.
1: So yeah, look, just a, at least a first
0: thought now. I would say Leinster are going to be favourites. I think Leinster are the better team. And they'll probably learn from last year's uh, mistakes and not try to sort of play wide, but play a bit more direct and, and go through um, La Rochelle more and sort of keep it tighter than, than they maybe did last year. But yeah, La Rochelle is a team, I think, uh, in a almost buck. Box- bockish way, they're a team almost made for knockout rugby. Like, they don't give you too much. They are good in taking their opportunities. They've got a solid set piece, especially with their starting team. Um, their defense gives you quite little. So, yeah, I, I think it'll be a tense and nervy final. I can't see this being, hopefully, because it seems like all these European games this season have been blowouts. I, I see, this should be a, a, a tight um, yeah. thriller.
2: Yeah, it's, and I'm interested
1: to see how they approach it. Like, are they going to approach it with the usual way they play, like trying to just swing it in a final? Um, And Mm Lens, they're going to knuckle it down and play test rugby. Isn't, doesn't the saying go, you must play every game like it's a final and play the final like it's just every other game?
2: So,
1: (laughs) (laughs) interested to see what's happening. But as far as, so, um, um, Bottier went off for an HIA and failed it in the first half after 20 minutes. But mm. um, I can't remember what the stand-on period is, but even if it's like the mandatory two weeks, he won't play and he'll be available for the final. And Jonathan Dante, mm. I also believe, is, um, will comfortably be available for the final. So yes. that's massive. That's two, those are two guys they get to, to, to bring in um, that they will absolutely boost them.
0: Yeah, and I think on the Leinster side, they yeah, it's going to be interesting how they manage um, the URC knockouts. I wonder if they're going to be trying to do a few a few funny things with the squads um, going up to that. But I think let's transition there to talk about the URC. Um, it's quarterfinal, I need say semi, but quarterfinal weekend in the URC. We're starting with Ulster versus Connacht on Friday night, Ulster playing at home. Then on Saturday, it's Stormers against the Bulls in Cape Town. I'm actually going to be going to that game.
1: Leicester nice. playing against the Sharks. It's going to be Baltic.
0: <laughs> I can. I can and for I, all of, I, I'm And for, I'm all of our foreign, for that.
1: Yeah, for all the foreign people, our cold is not anywhere near your cold. So forgive us. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cold for us, definitely. Yes, it it's our Baltic. <laughs>
0: But yeah, so Stormers, Bulls, Leicester versus Sharks, and then Glasgow versus Munster. So let's start with the big South African derby. So the Bulls, and, actually the Bulls played Western Province this weekend um, in the Curry Cup. And interesting selection uh, strategies from both teams, both being coached by the URC head coaches as well. So Western Province played their actual Curry Cup team. They didn't really play any URC, like, mainstays, except for maybe Clayton Blomachis and... Um, Billy Engelbrecht, and they won 31 points to seven against the Bulls, who played almost half of their URC regulars, like Jan Horsen was playing, uh, Marco van Staden was playing, and yeah, I think, (laughs) I don't know if Jake White was trying to beat the hoodoo before they play um, the Stormers this weekend, but that completely backfired. And Sean, there is some talk about yeah, the Bulls have uh, you know had a good run of games before, and they were obviously they beat Leinster with a record score. And the Storms have looked a little bit shaky, but it just seems like the the Stormers just outclass the Bulls when when they come when they play against them.
1: Oh, that's weird, eh? and and it's like the URC Bulls team, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Could the played? You're expecting them to dominate and they're not. I, I don't know what, like Jake White must sometimes just sit down and go, I really don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> this is not making sense. <laughs> like, like when they lost in the Curry Cup to whoever they lost to, you'll see the Griffins, like <laughs> you had three springboks on the field. There's no way as if all these guys played with one eye closed that you would lose, but then they still lost like it's bizarre. But yeah, it's it's interesting. Interesting times ahead, like mind games. I, I, really, I really don't know what Jake White and, and the management are going to be saying. Like, I don't know how they're going to package this. Because <laughs> they've had so many Monday, Monday, start of the week do-overs. Like, just remember we said, like, you've got to have one game. I think it was Cooks that brought it up. You've got to have one game a year where you just forget about it. You're just like, you don't even talk about it. You go home, you leave it. Monday you start as if it's like, like it didn't happen. And uh, Jake Watts, like use that up for the next six seasons, man. Like, What's he going to do? Like, what is he going to go? Because like, you guys are cuck. Like if you really want to, like, if you want to save your own ass and mine, like you've got to get, you know, we've got to start gelling. So I really don't know what's going on. It's weird. And this is coming off. The Bulls side, the URC Bulls side, that absolutely dominated the other day, and now they go and do this. What?
0: And yeah, I think it's just, you know, you can say yeah, you know, the Bulls will bring back, you know, obviously pretty much they all starting tight five, probably Marcel Kutsia, Alric Low, um, you know, the um, Kano Moody didn't play this weekend, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but the Stormers can still bring back Steven Kitzel, Frantz Malharba, <laughs> D- Damien Willemser, uh, Ruan Null, Dan Duplessis, and going on and on and on and on. Like, and it just seems like there's just a, a, a mismatch here. And look, if you look at the stats between these two sides, the Stormers have the fourth best um, scrum in, in the tournament, even though they play in a sand park there in Cape Town Stadium. And the Bulls have like the ninth or the 10th best scrum. So there's already a big advantage there. This turns over in the lineouts where the Bulls are like 2nd or 3rd and the Stormers are 8th, ninth. But yeah, you just... If you look at the stats, it's, it's not that the Stormers are that much better than the Bulls. But I think what's clear is there's not that many things the Bulls are really good at when you take away the lineout. And it seems like... While the Bulls are pretty good with their attack at home when they're playing at the hard ground and loftus, I don't know if they're going to have that same um, ability to generate their attacking game um, away from home. They've only won three of their nine away games this season. Sean, what's, yeah, what and how can Jake White turn this around on Saturday?
2: Oh,
1: I don't know. I just think he names his team and he's like, listen, these acts have ripped ripped us to shreds like garden garden you know upset them i think jack white's gonna be like listen you guys are not expected to win this they are better than you (laughs) you know none of you are (laughs) gonna make the springbok squad except you you and you so yeah like let's just wrap up the season and we can all go on holiday (laughs) (laughs) i think he's gonna play i think he's gonna play hardball like that you know he's gonna like be be like munching on like a burry roll with like a beer in his hand while he's slouching against the door and cap half on half off like whatever you know couldn't give a rats because you guys have just like i don't know what else to do so have a rad one catch a later <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh that is that's that's not good to hear <laughs> <laughs> yeah i yeah i can maybe see it but i just feel like if you're not gonna be good if you're not good in the scrum, if you're not good in the collisions, especially now that the Bulls, I mean that the Stormers will have, Evan Riss and hajeva Daimani playing. I don't. I'm not sure about Dion Furry. I don't think he's going to make it this weekend. I think he's sort of probably in that touch and go stage because it, it was about I think four weeks then. So I hmm. don't think he's
1: he was training done, today. He's, he's, he oh, was okay. Training. Well, that's a good sign. Yeah, yeah, it's a good sign. He was training to the uh, with the squad um i saw some 30s but uh, I, I i can't i do seem to remember that he would miss this one i do seem to remember that
2: yeah
0: so you if dion Fury plays i think it's pretty much game over but if he doesn't play it's a bit closer i mean as good as engelbrecht or pocumela or dixon are they're not dion Fury. then yeah you you don't have the advantage up front you can maybe target Dweber in the lineout. That's probably your first go to. Mm, mm. Your second go to is you can just kick more than the Stormers. Stormers don't really like to kick. So you can try to sort of win the territory battle, make them run from deep. But your defense isn't really that tight. You can turn it on for 20 minutes, but you have, you press the snooze button and Damien Willemsen and Manny Lubbock are going to cause havoc. And your attack. And the Bulls attack this season has just not been good. I don't know what they're gonna do. It looks like Jan Heson is injured again. Um so Chris Smith probably plays at 10, Papier plays mm-hmm. nine. And then what do they do at 13? Because Tiedman Hans probably was the biggest loser on Friday because he didn't have a good game.
1: It's yeah, probably
0: he, Cornell Hendricks.
1: I I do think maybe you need to put Hans at uh at, at 12, but you you're starting Forster. That's that's the one yeah, thing that you're probably doing. So I would actually say maybe have another go with Hans. I think he's I think he's better than what happened on Saturday. I didn't watch the game, but mm. I heard a lot of people were just saying that he was poor. But you haven't said that a lot about him this season. So it could just be a blip. But you never know with the Bulls. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Maybe he caught maybe he about. caught the flu late. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe he caught the cuckness late. I don't know. But hopefully hopefully yeah. it's a one off. I would start him at thirteen. I think he's I think he's really good
0: yeah i i yeah i i'm a bulls fan and i don't really see the route to a victory here basically. let's go to the to dublin the sharks pretty much their only real motivation here i mean the sharks basically won't have um yeah but Elizabeth, as we know season-ending injury won't have Sia Kulisi, but good news it seems like Kolisi's surgery went well so there's better chances of him making it to the rugby world cup now so that's obviously very good news yeah the only question is now you know how many matches will he play before playing in scotland on on the first game so that's obviously a conversation for another day but you don't have those two main players the only real argument for the sharks is leinster have their eye on the 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 champions cup final and maybe you can ambush them kind of like how the Bulls did but sheesh, you don't really have a team for ambushing as well. Apart from that tight five or oh, the, the front row being fantastic in the scrums, don't really have much of a line out. Your defense is poor. And your attack is only good when one of your magic players decides, hey, let me be world class for the next few seconds. Sean, what's, 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 the, what's the game plan here for the Sharks?
1: Copy and paste from my um, from my Toulouse conversation last week. You got to <laughs> yes. you got to hit them. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me, I started joking there. You got to hit them uh, in twenty minutes, and you got to blow them blow them out the water. Um, I do think I think the sharks are mentally weaker than Toulouse, and I talk about how the Toulouse side dropped their heads when it didn't go right, and I think the sharks are a little bit uh, closer to the head dropping stage than Toulouse, so <clears throat> they're really. They they need everyone to cook at the same time. They also need everyone to be on the same page while they're cooking at the same time, mm. which is something that we haven't seen once yet. So, um, so that's kind of what's got to happen. The best part about it is the sharks have got nothing to lose. The sharks lose on Saturday. It will just be like, whatever, like this is exactly what we expect to happen. Like, it was a waste of two economy flights or eight economy flights there and back. <laughs> like, you know, it's just, it is what it is. And, and that's, that's the, that's probably the best thing the Sharks have. The best thing the Sharks have is they're going there and they know, know that nobody is giving them a snowball chance in hell of winning that game. And I think that's where their opportunity lies.
0: And then what would you do with, um, uh, they they don't really have many locks, unfortunately, so it's a bit of a pick and choose there. probla and whoever you draw out of the hat. But what do you do for replacing Kulisi? Do you have a Noche, um, Chituka, Mutilezi back row? Do you put in someone like James Fenter? Or do you maybe go with a fetcher like Dylan Richardson who might disrupt the, the Leinster team a bit more?
1: Yeah, we haven't seen a lot of Richardson, the one-time Scotland cap um, for the Sharks. I can't remember when last mm. he played, but... I, I think he's been playing more carry cup. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, personally, I, don't, I would like to see Noche start at eight and Chituka mm-hmm. start, and then you need to decide who you're going to put on the other flank. That's what I would like to see, but I can't see them moving away from from Noche, Butelezzi, and Chituka. Uh, I think that's mm. probably where it's going to stay. I don't think there's too much stuff is going to be messed around. um, Yeah. But I'd love to see Notche start at eight, though. So that's the only change I would probably make, just for a little look-see, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, look, Notche's been really in hot form, actually. He's been, I think, one of the standouts for the Sharks. He seems to have won that mini battle he's been having with having with um, Telezzi um for the for the eight jersey but yeah bootleys has not been bad himself so you can go with them and i don't think you'll lose too much but i think it's probably leaning towards paying a Fenter or a or richardson because yeah like you said short if you want to disrupt leinster you have to stop their quick um quick ball and obviously those those sort of players will be good for that yeah the the only way that sharks can really do it is if they get into an early lead, like you said. Yeah, you can just imagine. Like you, I think you alluded to now, sure that if if it's Leinster fourteen sharks null after ten minutes, yeah, let's pack, let's pack the game because I don't think the sharks will really have the mental strength to come back from that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I yeah. just want to add something on Khaleesi. There's mm. been so much. There's been so much talk. Around the non-talk that we've been hearing from the Sharks and the Springboks and Khaleesi about what the exact injury is, how long he's out for, all that. I personally, I think that that is. I look at it as a positive. I look at it as a good thing. I think that mm. the, the the all of this has the the my, my thought process is all of this has come come around into a space of. We think you can be ready for the world cup. We don't think it's too serious, but they've collectively decided not to say anything, have an operation, which is all very like we, you normally hear something. No one has said a fricking word. The NDAs mm. must've been flipping <laughs> phone book size that was si- signed because like no one said a freaking word. There's just speculation. There's like, Oh, but he said, and this said, and it's this, I've heard three different injuries. It's all related to the knee. It's not great, but I think that this has all come from we're going to have that operation. We're going to give it two weeks. We're going to see once all the inflammation, all that cuck has gone down, that how you're doing and what's going on. Mm. You take your you you so you become weight bearing, and once you become weight bearing, we make a decision then. And I think that's I think that's good for us. That for me is um, he is going. He's still in with a chance of going to the World Cup. My question is for everybody: Would you select Khaleesi if he was only available after, like, let's say, two games in in the pool stages? Yes. Like, if his yes. first uh, game, if <laughs> he's question. First, yeah, if his first game for the Springboks after this injury was in the Rugby World Cup pool stages, would you would you still go for him? Um, that that's my question. Um, me, I would without a shadow of a doubt. If he was only available for the for the knockout stages, I'd still select him in my squad. So. That's, uh, th- that's a no-brainer for me and I think for you as well, Tyler, judging by the way you answered that. But I think this is a good thing. I really do. I think this what, what is happening with the cloak and dagger, I, I believe, is, is, is something because there's opportunity for him to play.
2: Mm.
0: Look, yeah, I do think, I think you're right. I think it's probably just trying to manage expectations before you go, hey, he's out or hey, he'll be back in two months maybe it's probably something in between. And it seemed like that initial report of him choose, like he had to choose whether to get a surgery or not. And it seemed like the surgery, he chose to take the surgery and he, the surgery went well. So I think that's all good signs. The only th- the clues that we're getting is from Rachel Kulisi's Instagram account. But yeah, I, I think that's probably, yeah, that figures to be good news for, 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 for Springbok fans. It will probably be that he will have to use like the World Cup games as almost like ramping up games. So he'll be the more, more li- most likely of the players to play in maybe all four of the games, like he did actually in the 2019 World Cup, funny enough, when he came back from injury. So he'll probably have to play all those games against like Romania and Tonga just to make sure he gets like into full strength. And then, yeah, all we need from Colisi is that he's... Close to 100 percent for the quarterfinal, likely quarterfinal against France or New Zealand. I think mm. that's basically the main, the main, main goal there. Okay, Sean, I think let's start wrapping up and let's do some predictions. So yeah, it's URC um quarterfinal weekend. It's yeah, we we we're getting to the business end of that competition, weirdly enough, because the top 14 in the premiership. Continue on and on. (laughs) The URC is the only one that that's getting into sort of the business end now. But yeah, let's go through it on chronological order. So we'll start with Ulster vs Connacht. Ulster was the second-ranked team in the URC. Connacht was seventh. They're still waiting and praying and hoping that somehow the shark, well, that the sharks don't make an underdog run into winning the URC because that means they will be out of the Champions Cup. But yeah, Ulster vs Connacht. Who do you go for?
1: Ulster. (laughs) <laughs> i think they're i feel the form they're in and the mm-hmm. way that they're they're building at the moment um is just at the right time
0: yeah i mean yeah they've they've had a really good second half of the season after mm. yeah their struggles in the first half funny enough they haven't played it since december and their last game was also winning like just before christmas 22 points to 20 um, but that was playing at in um, uh, it was a Connacht home game, so yeah, there is a bit of they're not as familiar with each other as maybe they yeah as other teams. But yeah, I would probably I would also go for Ulster winning game. Okay. Then the big I derby Stormers versus Bulls. Um, yeah, I think you can hear from what I've been saying. I think it's Stormers win by ten. Bulls will. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with feisty Bulls. for a little bit.
1: Really? <laughs> I just, I just I feel would... like rocking the boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I, I wouldn't mind because obviously I'm going there into enemy enemy territory. So that would be a good day for me. But I'm already preparing myself. Like I got my hopes too high for the URC final and I was disappointed. So oh. I guess starting with low hopes will, 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 will do me a world of good. So yeah, um, I'll say Bulls and you say Stormers. I mean, I'll say Stormers and you'll say Bulls. Correct. Leinster versus Sharks. We know Jared said two weeks ago that the sh- that Leinster's season will be over in two weeks. He's already wrong about that. But yeah, he did. I don't know if he was serious, but he cheekily did predict the Sharks to win. Sean, are you going to follow him down that road? No. Nah. <laughs> that was so quick.
1: Leinster. Leinster take. Me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Even if it is Leinster, you know a mix of the Rhys Ruddock All-Stars coming in. Maybe, you know, Jenkins in for Ryan and, you know, maybe someone like uh, Deegan coming in for Van der Fleer. I, I I still think it's Leicester winning that game. And then finally, Glasgow versus Munster. We didn't talk about the Challenge Cup. Um, Glasgow won against Scarlet, 35 points to 17. Toulon beat Benetton, 23 points to nil, even with a red card. Glasgow, yeah, I don't think they've lost a game really since December, or well, they've only lost one game since December, if I'm not mistaken. They're playing at home. Munster had that awesome tour of South Africa. They have the war god, um, Peter Omani. It's actually a very tough one to pick. Uh, I think this is the closest one to a
1: 50-50. Yes. Game of the weekend. Um, that one and uh, Storm is... Well, to be fair, any game but the Leinster Sharks is, is, could be the game of the weekend. <laughs> um, but... Uh... Yeah, uh, Warriors are really, really playing some serious rugby, and like they, whenever you kind of disrespect them and be like, yeah, you know, it's going to end soon. They just pile it on a thicker and harder and faster. So, when will it end for them? I think is probably more what we should be asking. And if ever it's going to go, it'll probably happen against Munster. Um, I think they've got a better chance of beating Toulon. Um, in Dublin for the Challenge Cup, Munster got a point to prove. They they're also leaving South Africa with uh, with some good performances. It's really going to be tough, but it is at ScotSu um, and Chateau. Mm. Uh, extra time, <laughs> extra time.
2: Um,
1: I'm I'm saying Munster, Munster, Munster. I said it last week. I'm, I've got to stick to it, but. Flip, uh, I want Carl Stain to dominate and score all the tries. <laughs> oh, I'm torn here. Yeah. And Munster, I'm going with Munster.
0: Yeah, I'll go for Glasgow, but not by much. I think this is very much 50-50. Munster obviously have the players that have that, like, knockout rugby expertise. Yeah, I, and obviously, I think Snellman will be back from his concussion um, injury. They've got that big pack now that they're building. Um we know how POM is going to play as well. And their back line is looking really good, especially with Daly and uh, Calvin Nash on the wings. But yeah, Glasgow, I don't think Hugh Jones is coming back from his injury yet. Um, I think he's out for a little bit. But yeah, I think regardless, I think they've got enough in their locker to just continue that good form. So I'll say Glasgow, I like the extra time call. Let, let's let's have some extra time. I don't think we've had that in the URC era. So Glasgow extra time, last minute like penalty or try to win it.
2: Sure. Love it.
0: Epic. Okay, I think let us wrap it up there. Thank you so much for listening um, to another edition of the Rugby Biz Podcast. Went a little bit long, but yeah, there's very big games in rugby that happened this weekend, so you have to break it down from every angle. And yeah, we have some big matches to look forward to this weekend as well. Sean, let's hope that there is, I mean, we know there's going to be at least one can team in the in the semifinals. Um, let's see, let's hope that there's four good games at the very least and the Sharks don't give up after 20 minutes, but we'll see what happens there. And yeah, Sean, thank you so much for, for your thoughts. We are looking forward to seeing who's the best fight of all the coaches by the end of this week as well.
1: Yes, yes. Thank you. It was awesome. Great, great chat again, but uh, looking forward to the weekend's rugby and cannot wait for more.
0: And thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next week.